You are tuned to Community Radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, October 6th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. At the start of World War II, President Roosevelt signed an executive order forcing 120,000 people of Japanese ancestry into camps and jails. Eighty years later, these internees are finally getting a memorial. The California Report talks to the team that is helping restore these lost names to history. After regional news and weather, local flora and fauna get a big boost from a state grant. We end with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez at NPR West in Culver City. During the first months of World War II, President Franklin Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066. It authorized the U.S. government to relocate and incarcerate more than 120,000 people of Japanese ancestry. Now, more than seven decades later, a group led by a USC professor has taken on the challenge of creating a list of every single person forced into camps and jails. In Los Angeles, KPCC's Josie Huang has the story. The number of people who lived through incarceration is fast dwindling. My parents are gone. My sisters are gone. Kyoko Oda is 77, a retired teacher. She was the baby of the family, born in Tule Lake, an incarceration camp in Northern California. One day I'll be gone too. Feeling urgency, Oda joined a group pushing to build a memorial with the names of every person incarcerated. It's remembering the past and fighting for human rights in the future because this is a great wrong. But the group had a problem. No master list of names existed. After Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, Japanese Americans and nationals alike were scattered across many different incarceration sites, 75 to be exact, from Hawaii to Arkansas. When records were recovered, they were riddled with errors. Thousands of people's names were misspelled. Clearly, people never dealt with Japanese names before, and as they're typing, couldn't quite figure out what to type. Duncan Dukin Williams directs USC's Edo Center for Japanese Religions and Culture. Three years ago, he decided there needed to be a complete list of people who were incarcerated. Emerging everybody into this kind of enemy group is something we're trying to repair, but also what we want is people acknowledging this history as a way of giving people back their individuality. The painstaking work required checking camp rosters against birth certificates, death certificates, census records. But Williams built a team that was enthusiastic and motivated. I knew I'd be good at it because I'm OCD and so I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rock this. For Shoichi Shingu, the work couldn't be more different from his job in digital marketing. He volunteered for the project after discovering that an exhibit at the Presidio in San Francisco on Japanese-American incarceration had left out his father, who was born at the Gila River Camp in Arizona. I want to honor his name, get him in there, and make sure that he's part of this. You know, he's born there and he's kind of been forgotten and kind of breaks my heart. Shingo was asked to check the names of thousands incarcerated at another camp, Poston in Arizona. It took hundreds of hours over eight months. It was amazing. I mean, I can't even tell you, but I got chills right now because just seeing the names made it real. The team was checking the names and rechecking them up until a few weeks ago. Williams of USC says they are finally done, and the tally of names is... It's about 125,284. We believe we are 99.5%, 99.9%, right? 
Williams says they're trying to get to 100 percent. The list will be available online and family of survivors can point out any corrections or omissions. The names have also been printed in a 1,000 page book. Embedded in the cover is ceramic made from soil collected at each of the 75 incarceration sites. Williams sought help from survivors' relatives like Regina Boone. He was like, would you be interested in going to pick up some soil? (laughs) Literally. I was like, yeah, why not? Boone is a photojournalist in Virginia. That's where her Japanese grandfather had settled and built a family with her Black grandmother. The day Pearl Harbor was bombed, he was arrested by police, then detained at Fort Howard in Maryland. Boone went there to retrieve the soil. I wasn't expecting it to be emotional, but it was. Her grandfather, Suruchu Miyazaki, would be moved two more times before dying of tuberculosis the year after the war. Boone sees the Book of Names as a way to highlight the lesser-known story of a Japanese immigrant in the South and that of his Black family. This is Japanese history. This is Black history. I mean, it's all of our history. The Book of Names will be displayed at the Japanese American National Museum in L.A. for the coming year. Kyoko Oda has already gone to see it. You know, this is very meaningful to me that I'm living long enough to see something of this beauty and this impact. The book is a monument to every person named on its pages. Oda hopes to next see a memorial in the more traditional sense, one with names engraved on walls of granite for generations to read and remember. For The California Report, I'm Josie Huang in Los Angeles. Support for The California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, recognizing young social entrepreneurs through the Wesley Prize for Young Innovators of California. Information about how to apply is available at wesley.org. Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals, personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, coming this fall, the launch of research vessel Falcor 2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration, on the web at schmidtocean.org. An update to a story we told you about last month. Food vendors in the state are hailing the passage of a new law that will make it easier to sell their goods on the streets of California. KCRW's Megan Jamerson has more. SB 972 amends the California Retail Food Code, which establishes food safety standards in the state. Come January 1st, vendors will be allowed to prepare food outside of professional kitchens, slice and reheat food, and use carts more suitable for sidewalks. This means more street vendors will qualify for permits and sell food on the streets legally. Marilene Alvarado sells bacon-wrapped hot dogs in Hollywood, and she lobbied for the bill. She says that for years, vendors like her were harassed by law enforcement. Alvarado says street vendors are an important part of the workforce and that behind every street vendor, there are families who survive off the sale of tamales, hot dogs and fruit. SB 972 also removes criminal penalties for illegal street vending. Instead, vendors selling food without a permit will face a civil fine. For The California Report, I'm Megan Jamerson. 
And finally, if you love California history and photography, let me tell you about what I discovered this week. UCLA has one of the best aerial photography archives in the country. The photos of landmarks in Los Angeles and other cities in the 1920s and 30s are pretty stunning. Anyway, I've posted some examples of photos taken above LA on Twitter. That's at Saul Gonzalez CA. That's Saul Gonzalez CA. And that is the California Report for Thursday, October 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. In regional news, the Nevada County Historical Landmarks Commission announced today via ubinet.com that on Sunday it will dedicate a plaque honoring the late preservationist Sally Lewis in front of the Nevada Theater. The dedication will take place at 10 a.m. Sally Lewis was a preservation pioneer of Nevada City and helped save the Nevada Theater from demolition. She also was instrumental in creating the Nevada City Historic District. Lewis was a founding member and the first chairperson of the Nevada County Historical Landmarks Commission. The Nevada Theater is on Broad Street in Nevada City. Speakers at the dedication will include Jane Primrose, president of the Nevada Theater Commission, KVMR's Paul Emery, and Charlie Jacobs. According to today's Sacramento Bee, the first round of California inflation relief checks is expected to start showing up Friday as direct deposits. Recipients who get the money in the form of debit cards will get them in the mail between October 25th and January 15th. The $9.5 billion tax refund program, which has been nicknamed the middle class refund, is the state's response to high fuel prices and inflation. The rebates are made possible by California's $97.5 billion budget surplus, which swelled with income taxes from high earners during the coronavirus pandemic. For those who qualify, the payments will range from $400 to $1,050. And, by the way, the Bee also reported today that gas prices in our state, which have gone up in recent weeks, could fall by 50 to 90 cents a gallon in the next week. Caltrans is alerting drivers on State Route 20 in Nevada County that intermittent traffic holds are in store Friday for blasting work on the Omega Curve Safety Improvement Project. One-way traffic control continues at multiple locations along a 14-mile stretch of Highway 20 between Conservation Road and Lowell Hill weekdays between 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. Work also occurs on occasional Saturdays. But on Friday, motorists should also expect intermittent traffic holds between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. for blasting work in the Lowell Hill area. Travel delays of up to 45 minutes are anticipated. Motorists are advised to expect delays on State Route 20 through the fall. Another alert, in Grass Valley, the Penn Gate parking lot and a portion of the Hard Rock Trail near the Sand Dam at Empire Mine State Historic Park will be closed through November 5th for maintenance work. All other trails and park amenities will be open during that time. Turning to the forecast from the National Weather Service and air quality data from purpleair.com, continued sunny and warm days through Monday with daytime temperatures dropping a bit next week. It will be clear tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley with a low around 58. This afternoon's air quality index was measuring in the single digits. Friday will be sunny with a high near 87 and a low of 58. 
In Truckee and Lake Tahoe tonight, mostly clear with a low around 43. The air quality index this afternoon was averaging around 15 or satisfactory. Friday, expect more sunshine with a high in the mid-70s and a low of 41. In Sacramento and Woodland tonight, mostly clear with a low of 59. Today's air quality index is averaging in the mid-50s, which is acceptable but may be risky for sensitive people. Friday will be sunny with a high near 93 and a low close to 60. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. More than 300 species of local wildlife have reason to celebrate today, and so does the Bear Yuba Land Trust. The Land Trust just received a grant of $1.29 million from the State Wildlife Conservation Board. The money will go toward preserving Blue Oaks woodlands in the vicinity of Spenceville, a major wildlife migration corridor the Land Trust has been working to connect for 30 years. Here's more from KVMR's Felton Pruitt. We're talking with Erin Tarr. She's the executive director of the Bear Yuba Land Trust, who have just received a wonderful grant from the Wildlife Conservation Board. This grant, like you said, is from the Wildlife Conservation Board. That's a state um, agency, and this is through their Climate Adaptation and Resiliency Program. So it's funding that came out of Proposition 68, which I believe 2018 we passed that proposition you know, further protect habitat and water and wildlife. So the funding is going to um, be used for Ellis Ranch. This is a large 806-acre ranch down near Spenceville Wildlife Area. It's used for agriculture now. There's cattle grazing on the property, but there's also 11 reservoirs on the property, including a 17-acre lake, um, lots of wetlands and associated habitat. So um, there's a lot of threatened and endangered uh, species down there as well, as well as providing um, habitat, as well as connecting this wildlife migration corridor that goes from the Bear Yuba to the Yuba River, which is a corridor that we've been working for about 30 years to to get connected. So this is a major puzzle piece in that corridor. And it's a lot of money at $1.29 million. That must have taken a long time to put that grant together. Well, yeah, I mean, how conservation easements work is it's all based on an appraisal and based on fair market value. So in this case, an appraiser goes in, they do an appraisal for highest and best use of the property, and then they look at the easement, at the restrictions that are being placed on the property for, uh, it's basically restricting development and subdivision into the future. So that reduces the fair market value of the property. And then the difference of those two values, the before and after, that's the conservation easement value. So that's what we put in for funding for through the state. And it worked. It worked, yeah. Yeah, and in this case, the state's providing 80% of the funding, and the landowner is going to donate back 20% of that value as well. So it's what we call a, a bargain sale. We're using both the landowner donation and the state funds to make it happen. So explain to our listeners just how cool a thing this is for them and for our area. Um, well, yeah, this, like I said, this is right within this major wildlife corridor from the Bear to Yuba Rivers, and it, it fills in this major puzzle piece. So it's not only expanding on Spenceville Wildlife Area, that 11,000 acres that's protected 
we're creating a, a larger buffer there for wildlife, for agriculture, and um, just for resiliency of our of our community. It's the blue oak woodlands. That's the main habitat type out there. And what a lot of people don't realize is the blue oak woodlands is actually the most biodiverse habitat in California. There's uh, 330 species of mammal, birds, and reptiles and amphibians that depend on that ecosystem for survival. So that's why we're working so hard down in the Blue Oak Woodland area. There's just multiple, multiple benefits it provides our community to keep those places wild, basically. Will there be public access areas there? No, not on this conservation easement. That's never something that's required when we place a conservation easement on a property. And um, so this one, this one will not be. There'll, there'll likely be some guided hikes. But with the conservation easement, the landowner still owns and manages the land. So there's still, it's still going to be an active cattle operation out there. And then the land trust responsibilities is to go out at least once a year, monitor the property, and make sure that we're protecting the conservation values that we promised to. I imagine in a lot of places, you don't want the public there because that's the whole thing you're trying to do is preserve the area naturally. Right. Yep. There's definitely, you know, areas where, where we love to have public access and areas where we would prefer to, to keep it more wild. Yep. What else is going on with the Bear Uber Land Trust that you want folks to know? We have October 13th here at our office out on the North Star House property. We have a, a volunteer open house that's open to the general public. Just our staff will all be here talking about the different volunteer opportunities we have. A lot of trail building will be coming up this fall. We have restoration and planting projects, a lot of pile burning. Um, We've done a lot of fuel reduction work this year with CAL FIRE and have a lot of piles to burn. So we also have office volunteer opportunities. So if people are interested, come to the office October 13th between 3 and 7 p.m. And then November 19th, we're going to have our conservation award and gratitude breakfast at the Gold Miners Inn. So that's where we honor some local um, conservation and recreation heroes. So those tickets will go on sale October 14th. Why don't you give folks the uh, website and a phone number if they want to get more information from you guys? Yeah, our website is simple. It's BYLT.org. And our phone number is 272-5994. We've been talking with Erin Tarr. She's the executive director of the Bear Yuba Land Trust, always taking care of us here in Nevada County. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Felton. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, observations from a working poet. So far today, I've talked to other people about poetry, wild cherry tree volunteers growing from roots so you can't transplant them, hot breakfasts, Halloween decorations in public places, whether you erase your phone texts or not and why, swimming in San Francisco Bay, scattering ashes, and skunks. I've talked to myself about quite a lot more. I won't bore you with the whole list, but I engaged in several negotiations as I was running errands about whether I really needed gas yet and how crowded the grocery store was likely to be. No one on gas, and too crowded one for the grocery store, so I came home without milk and must get gas next time. The price of unleaded will have gone up another 10 cents by then, the way things are going. I had a friend once who didn't understand what I meant when I said I talked to myself inside my head. I'm choosing to believe he was alone in this confusion, and the rest of you know what I mean and also do it yourselves. 
It's not having multiple personalities, for heaven's sakes. It's just a way to figure things out. I don't usually talk to myself aloud, but it's not unheard of. And sometimes I have conversations with the cats that are really with myself, but I include them in order to be sociable. They, being cats, do not respond. Having covered so many subjects before 9 a.m., I am now full up with communication and ready to spend the day alone. The phone will ring with spam calls, but I won't answer it. I'll be sitting in my office at the back of the kitchen, revising essays and looking out the open door at all these orange butterflies who seem to have come to my yard in order to procreate. At some point, I will eat a sandwich. At some other point, I will do yesterday's dishes and empty the compost. It's not good for a person to sit all day, so I try to jump up every hour and circumnavigate the yard to remind the computer it does not fully own me yet. This is what life is. Weddings, funerals, high school, maybe a delicious meal now and then, some delightful sex, and this. The mundane, the routine, the interior. Interspersed with the dramatic, broken wrists, hurricanes making off with your car, wildfires keeping you up at night, vet bills. Remember that question about if you had only a year to live, what would you do with your time? I think this approach is unkind. You don't know what you would do until you get there. The better question is, what are you going to do with your time right now? Are you working so you can pay the electric bill? Working because you like revising essays? Touring the country in your 10-year-old minivan? Mary Oliver's good line that has become such a cliché probably fits here. Tell me, what will you do with your one wild and precious life? The line before that in her poem The Summer Day is, Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Well, yes, and it's depressing, but real. And look what she's done. When she says, tell me, she's talking to us. She's starting a conversation. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for Thursday, October 6th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from our beloved listeners and from California Solar, local B Corp. employee-owned solar co-op in Grass Valley, working to balance profit and purpose, specializing in residential and commercial solar systems, including battery backup systems. California Solar, cal-solar.com. And MEC Builds, Nevada County roofing contractor with over 20 years of experience, providing complete roofing services, gutter products, sun tunnels, and skylights. The showroom is at 316 Colfax Avenue in Grass Valley. MECBuilds.com This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Friday for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. 
And if you benefit from KVMR's news and public affairs programming, please show your appreciation by contributing to KVMR during our membership drive, which is going on now. Call 530-265-9555 or donate online at kvmr.org.